G'day, and thanks for listening to the Outpost podcast. I want to give you a little update on something quite significant that's happening for us at the moment. And that is that we are entering into a season of prayer and fasting from October the 1st until the 22nd, which is the start of our church camp. And I want to emphasize the prayer part of prayer and fasting. Uh, We do want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to know what he's saying and we want to be putting it into practice. And fasting is one way that we can clear away some of the distractions, some of the things that would cause us to forget who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. We are passionately about being his uh, apprentices. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow his way and not just our own. And so entering into a season where we say no to something that we would normally focus on, and it's not a bad thing that we're saying no to, but just something that we want to uh, put aside so that we can focus more clearly on Jesus. So a couple of examples for for Christy. She started her fast on the beginning of September um, and she's been fasting from meat, from sugar, alcohol, processed carbs, coffee and some other stuff. And she'll continue that through to the camp. And and for me, being softer, I'm starting mine uh, 1st of October. And one thing I'm fasting from is Strava, uh, which for me as a keen runner can be um, an inordinate focus. And so I'm taking a break. And I just encourage you to consider how you can engage with this and what you can say no to for the purpose of saying a bigger yes to Jesus and to his way. So join with us from the 1st of October in this season of prayer and fasting. Um, You're about to hear a message from our Sunday gathering and we're focusing at the moment on Nehemiah, which does start with a fast. And we just believe that God's got a lot to say to us through this Old Testament book and Yeah, our prayer is that you would be encouraged through this and that it would lead to transformation for yourself, but also for your community. God bless you. It's really fun when things resonate with people, like when you're telling a story and you can just see that people can relate to the thing that you're saying. Not so fun when people just can't. I've got a story that I've told many times and I'm yet to find anyone that can relate to it. So maybe tonight's going to be different. Well, let's find out. Um, so I was actually just chatting with Riley about, you know, change and just having variations in your schedule, whether you like it or not. I'm like, oh, I feel like I, I like structure more now than I did when I was younger. But I've always kind of seen myself as someone who likes change and embraces change. But I've had an experience that would say the opposite. So um, when I married Christy, which was just a bit over 17 years ago, I woke up every morning and got a shock. I was like, oh, I'm married. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it was like I forgot as I slept that I was married to Christy, and then I woke up and got a really nice surprise. It's like, and then when Esther was born, um, I would wake up, and then at some point over the ensuing seconds or minutes, I would realize that I had a daughter. But it was like I'd forgotten as I slept that I was a dad. Um, And it wasn't just uh, in the mornings either. There was a couple of incidences that, um, thank you, Lord, for your protection over my daughter. Um, One time where um, I rocked up to the, well, actually, so Christy walked in uh, to an event. And she's like, 
looks around, and she's like, maybe Shane's just like passed Esther around to other people. She scans the room and is like, no, where's Esther? And I'm like, oh. I left her in the car. Like, I had left her in the car for about 15 minutes. I don't know, at a guess, about 15 minutes. Just totally forgot about her. She was a very quiet baby. Um, and on the car ride, just me and her, she made, you know, no noise. Got out of the car. Not one of my finer moments. And I'm not seeing any resonance with anybody else again today. So, <laughs> well, there we go. I've got a couple. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Another thing that's, that's not so fun is if you're a person who, you know, deeply values friendships that you had in the past and really likes to stay in touch with people that, you know, you've moved out of the immediate context, if you're that kind of personality where you just want to stay connected um, and then your best buddy is like an out-of-sight, out-of-mind person, that's really frustrating. That's, that's a hard one to navigate as they are not as invested in the communication side of things as you are. And perhaps in an opposite, you know, potentially frustrating situation is to be, you know, a potential new friend for someone who has said goodbye to some really close friends and it's like, I will never make those connections again. And they don't really try to invest in a new scenario. And it's all about back home rather than being there. Um, and we're going to talk about someone who may have been a bit like that. A potentially very annoying person uh, to people that were around them. And so we started a series on Nehemiah uh, a couple of weeks ago. And looking at this guy, Nehemiah, um, who really didn't seem to give much of a rip about his immediate context and was so focused on back home, even though there's a good chance he'd never lived back home. He just had this really strange, um, deep fascination with back home. But before we get into that, I want to uh, share a couple of things. So the first is we're looking at the book of Nehemiah um, because uh, Christy was reading through it as part of her, you know, reading through the, the Bible in a year um, and just felt this resonance on it. Um, and we sense that this might have been God saying to us, this is something that I want you to sit with. I want you as a church to sit with in this season to see what you can glean from it. Um, and I'm just really good at listening to my wife. I'm trying to make myself look better than what I did just before. Um, there's no comeback from that. There was a, no, no, there's not. I left my daughter in the car. Um, so we are focusing in on Nehemiah because we think God's got things to say to us as we look at it. But I want to have a quick look at where Nehemiah sits in the biblical timeline. And so you can see here a gift from a church called Watermark. They made this Bible timeline. Does anyone notice what's not on this? There's no watermark. I found that interesting. Anyway, so the church is called Watermark, but they don't believe in watermarks. But they created this timeline for us, so it gives you a bit of an overview of where we're at. So creation, and then the patriarchs, Exodus, there's the chains being broken. Hallelujah. Conquest, judges, the kingdom, and then exile and return. So we are right there. Can you see with the circle around it? Um, a bit of exile, a bit of return. So we're pretty much in the middle of things. We're getting right towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, and I've got a <laughs> so watermark, 
really nice graphics. This next one, not quite as nice. Um, so this just gives you, if you go to the next one, Esther, um, gives you a bit of a timeline. So those dates on there are contested dates. Um, so don't worry too much about the dates going down there, but you get a bit of an idea of, of what's going on um, during this particular time in history. And so around 600 BC was when uh, Israelites started to be deported uh, to Babylonia. Um, so Babylonia is a region that included places like Babylon and Susa. So Susa is where um, Nehemiah was. Um, and so a bunch get deported then, a bunch get deported later on. Um, and so it's the Babylonians who take the Jews into captivity. This is well past the time of David uh, and Solomon, which was the, you know, they were the good old days for the people of Israel. So they, you know, the kingdom was strong. The kingdom was united under David. Uh, then only two generations later, it's separated and it goes from bad to worse. They're taken off into captivity. Um, and then the, the Babylonians um, are, are conquered by the Persians. Um, and that's when our story takes place. And so while it was the Babylonians that took the Israelites away initially, it's the Persians that are in charge at this point. Um, and so you've got a, a couple of incredible things that are, are taking place that I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, there's a map up next which just gives you um, a bit of an understanding of just how vast the Persian Empire was at that time. So it's significant. Um, and you can see that in red, you've got Nehemiah's journey um, that he undertakes um, in, in chapter, um, chapter 2 of Nehemiah. You can see from Susa, um, just slightly to the right, um, up and around and down to Jerusalem, a little bit to the left um, is, is where he went. So that's just a little tiny bit of the background of the book of Nehemiah. So here is this, this guy, um, and we read. Um, actually, is there someone that can um, find for me, uh, just open up to the book of Nehemiah and read out Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Who's up for reading that out? Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned. Nehemiah's prayer. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. Bless you and thank you, Dave. So that's Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is just a bit before um, Psalms. So you open to the middle and you go a little to the left opening up a physical Bible, Nehemiah chapter 1. So we, we read this response. So we don't know. There's, there's nothing that we have, pardon me, um, to give a definitive answer to whether Nehemiah was born in, um, whether he was born in Jerusalem, whether he'd been there at all, or whether he'd simply heard about um, Jerusalem. He had a job. Um, and his job was the cupbearer to the king. And so 
it's, it's possible that you would have some Jews who had been taken into captivity and they were in Susa or somewhere else um, in the Persian Empire and they were surrounded by Jews. And so their immediate context still felt pretty Jewish. That wasn't the case with Nehemiah because his job was cupbearer to the king. And so he is surrounded. He's in the very center of the seat of power um, in uh, Susa. And Nehemiah, like he's got what would be a, a pretty good job. Um, certainly some risk involved in it because part of his job would have been to make sure that the, the wine he was serving to the king wasn't poisoned and he would do that by drinking it himself. So if it was poisoned, that would be the end of his job and his life. Um, but still a good job, um, one that would you know, bring different comforts to it. But here is this man who probably had never been to Jerusalem and when he hears about the state of Jerusalem, he stops everything. He wouldn't have been a very good employee. One way of reading this is that he spent six months in prayer and fasting before the Lord as his response. Maybe he went to work in that time. Maybe he didn't. It's not clear. But here he is giving a very passionate response to something that doesn't impact him directly. He was living in a different kingdom and yet his focus was Jerusalem. He wanted Jerusalem restored physically. As we consider this story of Nehemiah, as we read through different parts of it, um, I should say as well, like, so Christy will be preaching next week um, on Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, when we brought this up at a, at a prayer meeting and Christy was talking about it, um, Lockie was saying that he had been reading through those same books of Ezra and Nehemiah um, and had felt a deep resonance at a similar time. Um, and so Lockie is going to be preaching in two weeks' time. Is that okay, Lockie? Do you mind if you just... Preach, that'd be great. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, we just, yeah, that was another fact that I didn't mention before of just having that sense of resonance where it wasn't just a case of as he heard us talk about it, he felt, oh yeah, it was independent on his own. Um, and that's, that's significant. So for us, um, one, one of the key parallels of this. So here is this guy who is so focused on Jerusalem, even though there are so many things screaming at him, that I think we can learn a lot with our own context here in McLaren Vale, in the city of Onkaparinga, in the state of South Australia, in the nation of Australia, in the world in which we live, where our primary focus is not to be what we see around us. Our primary focus is God's kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven. Yet so much would scream at us and dictate that we focus on this and that and the other. But we are called to be about a different kingdom. As we look at, at Jesus, like we have this guy, Nehemiah, who 
decides Jerusalem is the place that he is going to, to go and, and focus on. And Jesus does a similar thing. He sets his face toward Jerusalem and he goes there because that is where um, he will be coronated via crucifixion. That's where he knew he needed to go because his kingdom was not of this world. The things that we see around us are not the be-all and end-all. We're called to be citizens of heaven. Uh, Esther, can you show that next slide, please? Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You, if you belong to Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And that trumps any earthly citizenship. You're a citizen of heaven. The theme continues in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, remember the early days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. That hits me. It's one thing to be impacted by what's happening directly to you. It's another thing entirely to be impacted by what's happening to somebody else. We are in a time in history where there is more persecution that is going on than ever before of Christians. For us in Australia, you can argue that there's some persecution, sure, but compared to most times in history, compared to most places around the world, we have it so easy. But there are so many who are suffering because they follow Jesus. There's an old phrase that says, he or she is so heavenly-minded that he or she is of, does anyone know the end of it? No earthly good. So heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. It's a load of bollocks. It is impossible to be so heavenly minded that you would be of no earthly good. We are told to fix our eyes on Jesus, to set our minds on things above where Christ is. The more that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more that we will become like him. We are told that. We are told that when we see him, we'll become like him because we shall see him as he is. The greater clarity we get of who Jesus is, the more we are like him. It's pretty hard to argue that Jesus was of no earthly good. The reality is that that phrase, you know, comes into play in terms of not being about the business someone wants you to be about. You know, you are more focused on something that is bigger than what they want you to be focused on. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. And my experience would tell me that's easier said than done. It's probably not 
a new thing for you to hear, this idea of having your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's probably not a new idea that you are a citizen of heaven and you're called to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's probably not a new idea. But we don't want it to be just an idea. We want it to be a lived reality. Something we actually put into practice. If you do have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, If you can, put a bookmark back into Nehemiah chapter 1. That might be helpful. Um, Or a bit of paper or something. Um, And we're going to have a read of Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 32. And we're going to do... One of those things that just blows everyone away. We're going to go across a chapter divide. (sighs) Just preparing you. We're not going to stop at the end of the chapter. We're going to keep going. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to end up in Hebrews chapter 12. And what more can I say? This is Hebrews 11 verse 32. Am I right? Good. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Full stop. Something's about to shift in this list. Would you say that was an encouraging list or discouraging list, what we just read? Definitely encouraging. People have escaped the edge of the sword. Women received their dead, raised to life again, quenched the raging of fire. All right, anyway, so full stop. Okay, other people were tortured not accepting release so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. How about that list? Which list do you want to be in? <laughs> it, it just lists a whole bunch of different... Um, experiences that people had and it's not saying you know the first group were doing the right thing or the wrong thing second group it's pretty clear they were all doing the right thing some got it pretty good some got it bad but they are all mentioned in the scripture as examples for us to follow verse 38 the world was not worthy of them They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Hebrews chapter 11 is often you know, referred to as the, the hall of faith when it comes to um, Old Testament saints. And we've got, I start in verse 32, you know, it comes after a host of different examples of people who lived by faith. And chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, you know, pretty well known um, passage of scripture. But whew, I reckon it adds a bit of weight when you read scripture in context. Hey, like when you've just learned of what people have gone through, um, the way that there has been some miraculous escapes, but there's also been just some heavy prices that are paid, and the reality of the world was not worthy of them. And we are told to lay aside every hindrance. We have these witnesses that are surrounding us. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And we are told that he has done the same thing. He, for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He was crucified on our behalf. We are citizens of heaven because he has paid the citizenship price. We are children of God because he has paved the way. He's paid the adoption price for us to be brought into his family where all of the junk that we have brought with us has been cleaned and paid for. And all the righteousness that he earned and deserved has been credited to us. He took our guilt, our shame, our sin, our fear, and he dealt with that and he gave us such good stuff that we could never earn, never deserve. We're about to sing a couple more songs and we're going to have a chance to reflect on some of this together. So I invite the band to come up um, and to, to lead us in a small group. It might be just with one person, um, but to, to read through Hebrews chapter 11, 32 to 12.2. Um, as you're reading through it, there might be some questions that you have that aren't central to the main theme of the passage. I encourage you to hold off on those, write them down, take note of them, come back to them later. Um, what's the, the big thing that you get as you read that? And then remind yourself of Nehemiah 1.4, the response of Nehemiah at the state of Jerusalem. And then this question, what kingdom or kingdoms are you tempted to focus on at the exclusion of God's kingdom? So I've got things that distract, deceive, destroy, delight. I don't often use alliteration, but I did this time. You're welcome. Um, so a couple of examples from me. So something that, um, that distracts is, is my running. And one thing that has shifted in the last three or four months has been um, applying the A, 80-20 rule of running, which is... 80% of my running is easy and keep the easy runs easy and then 20% hard. And one thing that I found really helpful in the last little while um, is to...
be able to, to run in a way that I can actually appreciate the beauty. I, I get to run in and around McLaren Vale. I get to actually enjoy that rather than not being able to see it because there's so much sweat pouring down my face and I'm like squinting. Um, it's so nice to appreciate that and to have had some times of just worshipping as I run. And I often podcast, but sometimes I'll just put on some worship, worship music or not listen to anything and just get to enjoy God's presence. And that's something that I've done more consistently in the last few months. But it's so easy to get sucked into something like Strava. Um, if you're a cyclist or a runner, you probably know about Strava. Uh, it's been described as you know Facebook for um, cyclists and, and runners. Um, and you just get to see what everyone else has done, and that becomes the focus. Um, but on that, with my phone, like just the last little bit, uh, the last uh, 18 months have had Mondays as a phone-free day. Like the the phone, <laughs> it just takes and takes and takes, and there's always more that you can investigate on the phone. Um, I had a break from that over summer, um, and I don't think I should ever do that again. Uh, I had three or four months when I went back to using my phone seven days a week. Um, and then it was like, hang on a sec. I had breakthrough in this and I reverted back to my old behavior. Um, so the last, whatever it's been now, five months or something, um, it helps so much uh, just to say no in a really concrete way. Um, I followed on from Dave and Scotty in grayscaling my phone. So there are now no colors on my phone. It's all black and white and boring as. Um, I finally deleted, um, I stopped a lot, of, a lot of notifications, but finally, just last night, deleted um, my email uh, from my phone um, so I can no longer access emails on my phone. Um, just like simple things that can make a big difference in headspace and focus and being able to you know, turn our eyes upon Jesus as that song says. Um, I think I mentioned a little while ago about um, alcohol, just noticed that there was some stuff that I have carried on from my younger days, just in my attitude toward it. Um, that thing of delight, thinking that things will be better, you know, if I have a couple of drinks. And so the last, it's probably six weeks or two months now, one drink limit, and it's just a really clear line in the sand. I'm, I'll enjoy that one drink. Um, and, and leave it at that. Um, I've noticed myself just so easy to get into a bit of a vortex, thinking about work, thinking about finances, um, and at times that no benefit will come from it. And just to be able to arrest that thought, you know, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, go, hang on a sec, I'm operating in a kingdom that says I need to get for myself and for my family. I need to be focused on these things uh, rather than a kingdom that says it's about giving and receiving and it's about His Lordship. Um, I burned out last year. Fortunately, got a hold of it before it got too bad, but I was diagnosed with burnout and I experienced hopelessness like I've never experienced before. And one of the, the things that I put my finger on a little while back that I went, oh, wow, was realizing that I was more interested to have people know of how bad it was than for actually being healed. You know, there were times where I just wanted people to sympathize more than I wanted to be healed. 
Um, and I was writing this this week. Um, I had a time of just worshipping and going, I can't remember the last time that I was in that space. Um, and, and praise God for victory and, and for freedom. Yeah, I've given a few things there, just, just in terms of kingdoms that are so easy to get sucked into. And what will you do to help keep God's kingdom front and center in your life this week? I basically just merged those three questions uh, in my response to you just then, so I won't go through all of them. But we are doing a season of fasting uh, starting on the 1st of October. Um, and some of the things that I mentioned might be great things for you um, to lay aside for a while. It's a season of prayer and fasting, and that's the order of priority. We want to pray, um, and fasting can help us to focus in our prayer. It's not about how much can you deprive yourself of and how much of a martyr can you be. It's how focused and targeted can our prayers be? How effective can our prayer be? And fasting will help free us up to be able to focus on Him more. Um, and so the, those two dot points, what will you do this week to help keep God's kingdom front and center? And then what's something that you could do, that you could fast from? Uh, Christy started her fast. She's doing basically a vegan diet at the moment. Um, she started that um, started this month. Um, and so she is doing food, um, and it might be food for you. It might be something else. It might be treats, a certain type of food. It might be the phone, social media. But just encourage you to be considering that um, and then to, to pray for one another. So you might be the same as me. When you go to share, you might sort of blur the lines between those few questions. But this is about putting it into practice, not just having an idea, um, but putting it into practice. And those questions there in the middle, how can others help? And how can you best be kept accountable to this? So actually, it might be someone that's here that you're accountable to. It might be somebody else. But what steps can you take for accountability in that? We're going to share food together in a little bit. So I'll say grace now. Pray for us as we start to do this. Um, if you haven't brought any food tonight, don't worry about it. Join in. Um, it is wonderful. Thank you for those that have contributed food. Uh, we ask that you do that consistently, but there'll be some times where you just can't, and that's okay. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that you bless the food to our bodies. We thank you for those that have prepared it. Uh, we ask that you would nourish us deeply. Uh, we ask that as we spend time just meditating on your word, spend time reflecting on these questions, uh, we ask that you would speak to us and you would speak through us. We pray this would be for our encouragement and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.